0: So last week we saw that God had put it in the heart of Nehemiah to build. And we're continuing with that idea. We saw, though, as he was building, that there was opposition to what God wanted him to do. There were challenges in his culture. In the rubble of all that had taken place, there were things that were trying to stop him from building and succeeding in what God had called him to do. You know, it led me this week, as I was beginning to think about this series called Build, I was really just seeking the Lord and, and just trying to kind of focus in on what God was trying to say and what he was trying to say to me personally, but also to us as a, as a church. And, and I felt while I was in that moment and this doesn't always happen, but I felt in that moment that I was having an evaluation of our moment as a culture that wasn't just mine, that I was having a like a sense of angst that wasn't just mine. See, God cares about what's going on in the lives of his people. God cares about what's going on in the lives of those yet to become his people and could be his people. So I asked God, what was it that was going on in in humanity or what was going on particularly in his people that was most concerning to him? And and let me just say, I don't want to paint God as some nervous Nelly. Um, I'm just using, using human words to describe a divine... Uh, feeling, a divine idea. So I was kind of like, so what is it that you feel, God? What is it that, you know, just kind of speak to my heart about what it is that you feel about your people and what's going on with them. And it came to me as clear as the bell. It was just one simple word. Capitulation. Now, it's not a word I'm usually walking around thinking about, so it was kind of like one of these things, well, that wasn't a word I had on my mind when I was eating my Cheerios this morning. But God wanted to talk to me about capitulation, and he wanted to talk to me about how his church is capitulating, or this idea of shrunken heads. And I will talk about that more in just a few minutes. But we have capitulated to our culture standards and pressure. There's stuff that we're not even supposed to address anymore uh, or say or push back, even as pastors. I think most pastors are a little nervous to talk about things. And over the last couple months, maybe the last year, we have been basically told by our culture to stay in our lane because we don't wanna upset the other drivers. Even when I began to think about the things that we were capitulating, that we were surrendering to our culture, Um, Even with people that are Jesus lovers, even with other pastors, all of us kind of like cringe, like, dude, you really gotta be careful if you're gonna talk about that. You really can't talk about that right now. And so I I began to think about what are the reasons? And I I came up with three reasons why I think as American Christians, we're afraid to talk or get involved in certain issues um, in our culture. I think the first one is this, that we're not wanting to appear unkind, Or intolerant that seems to be like a theme we've accepted a philosophical idea that love and truth are oppositional forces and one has to be chosen over the other and you know you'd be hard pressed to make an argument that well okay i'm not going to choose love i'm going to choose truth but yet we were kind of forced to put two things juxtaposed to each other and to have to choose one in our culture decided that we're just going to tr- uh, choose love and we're we're not going to choose truth. So this little saying has kind of emerged into our culture. And it's this, love is love. Love is love. That's that's what we say now. Love is love. And saying love is love means that the definition of love is so nonsensical as an echo of a word that has never been spoken or one hand clapping. I mean, that's how nonsensical it is. It's like Frank Costanza walking into the room and yelling, serenity now, that that's gonna change something somehow. Love is love. That's what we believe in America now. That's what we're saying as Christians now, that love is love. What it means is that love, as I personally see it, is love in any form that I see it. Now, let me just say, in the realm of philosophy, this is not just some little benign catchphrase that maybe some four-year-old said, and then it, it kind of caught on. There's meaning behind it. It is a philosophical response to the phrase that we've lived with up to this point, God is love. But now we've got love is love. See, God is love has been moved aside because God is love is too restricting, too patriarchal, too difficult, too predefined. Our culture is removing the complexity of truthful love For love, love, it's as the popular bogus theologian Glennon Doyle says, I now take orders only from my own knowing. Wow, an echo of a word not spoken, the sound of one hand clapping. Shrink your head and say nothing with all your heart. And the church and good-hearted Christians just not along with our society and say, yes, love is love. I think the second reason why we're afraid to talk is the fear of cancel culture. Now, I know you're saying, what the heck is this? And and it's kind of a new thing, new phrase, and um, so let me go right to the source. Let me go to the New York Post and look at their definition of what it is. Cancel culture is the phenomenon of promoting the canceling of people, brands, and even shows and movies due to some what some consider to be offensive or problematic remarks or ideologies. What some consider to be problematic. It is a modern form of banishment by society. Twitter uh, users took to the digital platform last month to condemn Harry Potter's uh, author Rawlings because she made statements concerning uh, anti-transsexuals. In July, the focus then turned to talk show host, uh, Ellen DeGeneres. And then it turned to Killing Eve star Jodie Comers uh, because somebody had heard that she had a conservative boyfriend So they decided, cancel culture decided, to ruin her career. Jimmy Fallon, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, did an imitation of Chris Rock. But because he did that 20 years ago, they are trying to cancel him today. Ryan Reynolds and his wife Blake, as you probably heard in the Charleston newspaper, are apologizing all over themselves to avoid being canceled because they got married eight years ago at Boone Hall Plantation. Now why the heck would somebody apologize about their wedding when they did nobody wrong in it? It is because cancel culture's out there and people are so afraid of saying the wrong thing. I think the third thing that we're concerned about is that we've gotten confused and think that we have to make up for the sins of the church's past We think we have to earn the right to say anything. And that's technically not true. The mistake of the past is that we said what we wanted to say the way that we wanted to say it. That was the mistake. That's our mistake, was was saying it the way that we wanted to say and what we wanted to say. That's the church's mistake. But the word of God does not need to earn the right to say anything. But we're capitulating the word of God because of our mistake. Because we're now, because we were guilty in the way that we said it, we've decided we no longer can say it because we've got to earn the right to say it. The Word of God doesn't have to earn the right to say anything. We are apologizing for the wrong thing. Christians are called to speak the Word of God the way that Christ would speak it. Whether we're right or not, we're still called to speak it and to do our best to speak it the way that He wants it spoken. So, That is what our culture is doing to our culture. The the fear is palpable. I mean, you can just taste it in the air. Now I'm not about hammering our society and it's, it's kind of like ridiculous. I'm gonna hammer our society for being secular Uh, I've never been a big fan of always berating society because of its lack of conformity to spiritual standards. I mean, why would it conform to social standards? So why would I beat up culture? Why would I beat up our society? Um, And and if if I even could communicate the the standards in such a way that culture could understand them, um, how could it keep them? I mean, the Bible says that all have fallen and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, none of us can keep the law of God. Uh, especially those who are no longer or are not in relationship with God. So so I have no desire to preach at culture in this moment. I don't think that's the angst of God um, because culture has always been uh, at odds with what God wants to do. It's nothing new to the equation. It's always traveled in a different direction. The part I think God is speaking to is the fear that um, has shrunken the heads of Christians. It has it just like shrunken our heads. Now, why am I saying shrunken heads? Um, well, let's go back to the word capitulate that God laid on my heart about what we're doing as Christians. Capitulate means to surrender. I think we all know that. It means to kind of like bow down and, and to, to turn over one's resources or position or ideas to another because of the fear of threat or being conquered. But if you go back and you look at the, orange of the, of the um, origins of the word capitulate, it literally means this. It means small head. And I thought that was really interesting because we are capitulating the beliefs that God has filled our head with. It is the removal of God's big idea for our lives and how we're supposed to live life because of um, the fear of adversity. That God has filled us through his word, through the life of Christ, through through the work of the Holy Spirit, filled our heads and our minds with a framework of life to build and to have life and to have life abundantly. But society has challenged us. And as a result of it, we've let the air out. We've allowed that framework to leak from us. The truth of God, the principles of God, the presuppositions of God, the instructions of God, the commands, the directives, the ethics, the morals, all the framework that we use as a Christian to build the abundant life. And so we went from being filled with all the ideas of what God has for us and how to live life our, our, we're now these shrunken headed little creatures that it's been done to our heads not by voodoo, but rather our heads have been shrunken by our own capitulation to our culture, our giving away of what we've been taught about life by God. We are called to these principles and these presuppositions in this framework to build a life that is full of abundance from God. Not because they're Christian, but because they are the framework of life that comes to us from our Creator and from our Redeemer. It's what works for a marriage. it, it what produces great parenting, forgiveness. It's uh, what love should look like and what, act should, what love should act like. It's what builds great community, human dignity, purpose and meaning, and the list goes on. All of that has been given to us by God, but in the last few years and months and even the last couple days, uh, we have been letting the air out of our heads. We've been capitulating the principles of God we, so that we can, what? So we can get along with other people so that people won't be mad at us, that, that they won't cancel our church. They won't, they won't cancel us as people. We've been buying into the nonsensical so that we can just get along with everybody and everybody do their own truth, instead of, as Christians, as the air that was filled through the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ when we heard him say, I am the way and the truth and the life. Remember that? But we let that just leak out. We allowed ourselves to capitulate. And we now, as churches, live with a shrunken head. You know, one example is, that the church is now afraid to talk about things sexual. It's like we're afraid to have that conversation about where does God stand and where should we stand on the issue of sexuality? Well, let me just tell you where culture says that we should be. And I'm not villainizing, I'm just telling you, this is directly out of Cosmopolitan Magazine. I was looking at it, and they had an article about different terms that every one of us in our culture should be aware of about a sexual identity and, and, and how it is now in our culture as defined by our culture. So I had, I had to learn some words like um, uh, C-I-S, cis, which mean, means cisgender, means that your, your identity matches your birth sex. Then there's heck. Um which is cisgender heterosexual. Um, then there's transsexual. Then there's genderqueer, which means identity has n- uh, neither, both or combo. Um, then there's gender fluid, which is the gender that I guess you can have that changes over time. Then there's non-binary. That, and then there's pansexual. That's anything goes. Then there's bisexual, that's anything goes sorta. And then there's sapiosexual. And I never, I I had to look this one up. And it means being sexually turned on by someone's mind. It means that you don't care about gender or anything else like that, but that it's just sex is all around being turned on by their intellect. So society can call it whatever it wants I mean, that's, I'm not fighting that here today. I'm not, I'm not here yelling at society. Um, for some people, this is a really deep emotional issue that they fight with. For others, but very few, and let me be very clear on the science of this, for very few, this may have some physiological content. But for most, this is just an expression of my personal truth. Love is love. You see, I can't use those phrases and say God is love. Because as soon as I say God is love, I'm now giving a complexity to love through the process of of infusing principle and ethics and truth. But if I just say love is love, well, then I can take on any form that I would like. And I'm not here to villainize certain kinds of sexual issues over others, Like, like saying that these are worse than adultery or fornication. This is not a worse than list. And let me just say, I'm, I don't know if, if you are a, a gay person or trans, um, I, I'm not against you. I, I have not had your struggle, and I believe your struggle is real. Um, I have struggled with my own sexuality. Uh, I've struggled with being heterosexual, um, resisting affairs, fighting pornography, having gone through a divorce, all of those are compromises as morally weighty as any other sexual issue. So I don't want you to think for a second that this is kind of like, okay, the church once again turning to this is wrong, but what about this? It's like, no, no, I I got my own struggles on this issue. But that, just because I have my own struggles, doesn't redefine what truth is and what love is because it's oppositional to me. Five years ago, all this would have been called gender dysphoria, and now it's just called gender identity. Not because of new discoveries in genetic work, but more because of personal experience, personal truths, and personal liberties. Fine, America uh, can be what it wants to be. I mean, really, it can. The concern that God laid on my heart is that as Christians, we buy in, we live it, we teach it as if God made me this way, or who are we to judge? We'll kind of, we hear those phrases and, and we kind of like, yeah. you know. So let me, this is the noise that I think when, when God watches us and he listens to us Uh, speaking into the issues of our culture, this is, this is the noise. I think God, let me see if I can replicate this noise that, that God hears from the, the modern church today. Let me see if I can get this to work and, um, there, there it is right there. Let me see if I got it. You know how you do it as you're a boy and you want to annoy your mother, you know, and you, you get hold of it and you go, there you go. Yeah, that's the noise that God is hearing coming from the church, capitulating biblical principles just to get along in its society. We don't talk about things in church. Boy, I hope you caught that on camera. (laughs) The balloon just fell off if you didn't. We won't talk about it in church. We succumb to the idea that to love someone, we have to approve of someone. Did we forget someplace that God didn't save mankind by giving his approval to mankind? I mean, it would have been so much easier, wouldn't it? It's like all of a sudden God would be like, okay, you got, mankind's messed up. Well, how are we gonna fix it? We'll say mankind's not messing up. We'll just give mankind our, our approval. But that's not what he did. He didn't just say love is love. He died for us, why? Because we were wrong. But we can't say that anymore about us or about anyone, or they'll cancel us. Well, that was just one of the many areas, I think, that we're capitulating the principles of God. Remember, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, so this is not about, I'm not talking to the world right now. I'm not talking to our society or to our culture. He didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. But for us Christians, here's what Jesus is saying. If you abide in my word, and you really are truly my disciples, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But you know what that noise we heard from the balloon? Was that we're no longer free because we're setting the truth free. We're letting it out. And we're no longer walking the principles of God and walking in his truth. So let's take another one. Um, How about Black Lives Matter? And I know some of you are like sitting on your couch, and you're like, Oh, this guy is so screwed. They, they are going to cancel this church. They are just going to, I, 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 don't, think, I don't even think the Black Lives Matter people um, are, are going to do that because I want you to hear a, a couple things. Um, all you have to do is listen to my sermons in my series called Cherish About Racism. I mean, all you gotta do is listen to it. Um, I march with my black brothers and sisters in honor of Emmanuel 9 and against racism. I publicly supported the taking down of the Calhoun statue. I got calls from my white brothers and sisters that were concerned that I was going over the edge. And Crosstown's activism in the black community is publicly documented that shows that Crosstown has always had the interest of black lives and that black lives matter to us. But black lives Matters.com is totally a different thing. And I know some of you are like, dude, you, you just need to stay away from it. It's like, well, you know, that's the part that concerns God, is our shrunken head, is the fact that we're afraid to talk about stuff. So from their own website, blacklivesmatters.com, let me read to you some of their mission. Quoting verbatim, we... Our mission is to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care about one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable, okay? To challenge the Western prescribed nuclear family. First of all, it's not Western prescribed, it's biblically prescribed. Second, we foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless he or she or they disclose otherwise. Okay? They want to upset what is the biological normative. We, as they continue, are self-reflective and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans trans folks, especially black trans women who continue to be disappropriately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. Okay, now weaved in there, there there's some things that that need to be challenged, obviously. I mean, some things, uh, violence that needs to be stopped right away against any person. But do you see how it's woven together so many other things? But yet, Christians, we're we're afraid to talk about blacklivesmatter.com. All black people matter. okay? But blacklivesmatter.com, let me ask you, Christians, white or black, is that what you believe? Is that what you believe God called you to stand behind? The dismantling of, of the family as prescribed biblically to the dismantling of the normative heterosexual um, uh, prescribed way of living from scripture. I mean, see, this isn't about black. This is about dismantling and letting the air out of the Christian worldview in the United States and in the world. Now, let me be clear. My disagreement with this organization does not and has not excused me from my Christian responsibility of being a part of the solution to end racism in America and to help the black community experience true equal opportunity. So, any Christian out there is like, finally, he's against blacklivesmatter.com. It's like, well, let me just say to all those that are kind of out there saying, finally, well, that doesn't mean we're not in the equation. That doesn't mean we're not called to action. We're not called to march. We're not called to change the, the stereotypes of our society. Uh, we're still called to get into the solution. But yet, yeah, we gotta have the courage just to bring the Christian worldview, the mind of Christ to the solution, not the mind of our culture. But our heads are so empty, we just go along with our culture. We have capitulated on abortion under the guise of women's rights. We have capitulated to greed under the guise of capitalism. We have capitulated to divorce and child abandonment under the guise of personal happiness. We have armed ourselves to the teeth with fear and hate under the guise of the Second Amendment. We have capitulated to the idolatry of self under the guise of finding meaning and purpose. I'm not talking to America. I'm talking to our shrunken Christian heads. We have given away the very framework to build abundant life that Christ wants to give us. We've given it away, the nails, the the two by fours, the drywall, all of it, we've given it away, the very framework of life we've given it away. Why, why, because We've been put up against um, the wall and threatened to be shot because we've been put into some pre uh, or medieval device that's stretching our arms and our legs apart and unless we denounce what we stand, no. We're doing it just to get along so that nobody will cancel us. We're giving away the very divine image of man that we were given by God to express. Is it new? No, this isn't new. It started when the serpents started talking to Adam and Eve and talked them into capitulating and giving away paradise. It happened in the desert when Israel started getting angry with God and they capitulated and compromised. It happened when things got tough for the disciples and most of them ran and Peter denies Christ three times and they capitulated. It always happens when we face opposition. It's exactly what the devil wants. He wants you to let the air out of your balloon. See, he can't let the air out of your balloon. He doesn't have that authority, but he can get you to let the air out of your balloon. How? It's for you to capitulate to the confusion and to the fear that's around you. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He would not allow any air out of his head. if you will bow down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him. Jesus was challenged over and over again to capitulate the word of God in his life when offered solutions that would have brought him into the appearance of peace with his adversary. Jesus said, I would rather live in conflict with the devil than to compromise the word of God. Remember this, the be gone Satan is only as powerful as the it is written that is in your life. Let me say that again. The power to say to evil in your life, be gone, and to stand up against it is only as powerful as the it is written and how much of it is in your life. For most Christians, we're huffing and we're puffing and we can't blow the house down. We have no power in ourselves. Why? Because God has abandoned us? No. Because we let the air out we decided to choose the world instead of choosing God. So why is this the start of the build series? Because we can only build with what's in our heads. Jesus said in Matthew seven, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We can only build with what's in our head. And also, your construction is only good as your materials. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, O God, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. See, if we're going to begin to build, we got to begin to think about other plans in our head. I mean, do we still have the divine plan or have we shrunken, have we capitulated the plans of God for our life? Have we compromised them all just to get along? Have we undermined our own lives so that we can affirm the lives of other people that may be a life that we're not even called to affirm but yet to love? As we move into this time with just you and God, this time of expressing ourselves to God, whether it's in communion, whether it's in giving, whether it's a time of prayer, whether it's in this song of worship. God's got high plans for you. He wants to breathe on the dry bones of our Christian experience and bring life back. He wants to once again restore the plans to give us a hope and a future and to prosper us because so many of us have capitulated. So many of us have allowed the inspiration and the truth of God to leak out. Too many of us have been living our lives with a shrunken head. We have capitulated to the world around us. But today, God wants to renew you through the power of his spirit, not so that you can be mean or arrogant or rude to our culture, but rather that you can be light in the midst of darkness, that you can be a city set on a hill, so that your good works, your good life, your good marriage, your good way of doing community, that they may see it and glorify your Father who's in heaven, that they'll see your life working and be drawn to it instead of us exhaling our good life so that we can join them in misery. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the courage to even talk this way and to even listen and have this conversation. Father, today we take our place as true Christians in our culture and whether or not we have run in the past or we have remained silent when we should have spoken up today, we ask that you infuse us with your love, with your truth, with your spirit. And today we declare in our lives, in our culture, God is Love.